Well, good morning. Happy Easter, everyone. What a privilege it is to be here with you all, to worship with you. I'm going to just say a, a quick prayer before we begin our morning. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for the privilege and the honor uh, to come and to bring our praises, to reflect, remember, and respond for who you are, and to rejoice in the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ. May our hearts uh, lift up the praises for your greatness and your love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
other, just don't all turn around the same time or your backs will be to each other. So maybe go left or right, shake a hand, give a hug. Let's welcome each other this morning. Monica Dislacon. I am a member here at LJCC. If you guys have your bulletins, go ahead and take those out. If you flip to the inside cover, you're going to see our prayer connection card. Two of our values here at La Jolla Community Church is we are rooted in prayer and we realize that we are better together. So you can take time during any part of the service to fill this out. No prayer request is too big, none too small, or if you just want to let us know you're here. And also if you're a first time visitor or guest, come see me after the service with your connection card and we have a free gift for you. Uh, for one of our first announcements, life groups are going to be launching next Sunday. Um, a life group is a small group where you meet together to dive into the Bible, to share your lives together, and to just encourage each other through the ups and the downs. So if you want to sign up, you can go to the link that's up on the screen. You can um, go out on the patio and sign up, or you can talk to Ian after the service. Next Sunday, we have a conversation that we're hosting after the second service called What's Next? If you're a new Christian or if you're exploring Christianity or you're just a Christian that just kind of wants to figure some stuff out, come to this discussion. There's going to be some food. It's an opportunity to ask the questions that maybe you've been hesitating to ask or that you wanted to ask, but now that you haven't really had the opportunity. We'll be exploring things like how do we know God loves us? Why, why is there sin in the world? Why does God allow that? This is a great opportunity. If, if you know someone who's a new Christian or someone who's stuck in their faith, this is a great opportunity. This is a great discussion to come and invite them to. Also, how many people know a guy or are a guy? <laughs> Wait, let's try that again. How many people know a guy or are a guy? Hopefully you know a guy. Ladies, come on. I mean, you know, sons, husbands, brothers. Neighbors, well, we're going to have a great event here on May 2nd, starting at 6.30, is Men's Cardio Sada Night. This is a great opportunity just for guys to get together and fellowship in the name of the Lord. Uh, the LJCC men are hosting this. This is a great opportunity. Grab some of these flyers, um, men and women. Take them to your work. Give them to people. RSVP today. This is going to be a great opportunity. So I am a middle school teacher, and in my class, Life Skills, uh, we talk about money because everybody's going to have to deal with money when they grow up. And so what if your kids could know about money from a Christian perspective? So starting May 5, we're going to be having a Money Matters workshop where parents are going to learn, um, they're going to become equipped to know how to have those conversations about money with their kids. And kids at the same time are going to be going through classes learning about what exactly stewardship of money looks like. So that will be starting on May 5 after the second service. We are a church that's rooted in prayer. So especially on this day, Resurrection Sunday, we want to take some time to pray. Phil, will you come up and pray for us? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, we come into your presence today to remember. 
Sometimes when we remember, it's out of sadness. Sometimes it's out of joy. And Easter is a combination. We look back to Friday, Lord Jesus, and we see you hanging on that cross. And we look at those around you. We see the, uh, the disciples and the women who, just in deep sadness and bewilderment as to what happened. And we look at the crowd, and the crowd came out to, to see a spectacle, to see you crucified. And it says they went home with deep sorrow because they didn't get what they came for. We look at the, uh, the centurion who was in charge of all the Roman soldiers. And when he saw your crucifixion, he said uh, that truly you were God and he worshipped you. And then we look at Saturday where you were in that tomb. And the disciples and the, your followers just were uh, completely... Uh, at a loss in terms of what happened. They had that expectation, Lord Jesus, that you were going to be the Messiah that was going to save them and that they were going to rule in an earthly kingdom. And it all fell apart. And then we come to Sunday, the day of joy, where the resurrection happened, that, you, that even the, the earth cried out. There was an earthquake and angels came down to announce the good news that although you had died, you'd risen again. And we look at the joy that that produced in the lives of those that followed you, that you were able to explain to them that that's why you came, that it wasn't to set up an earthly kingdom, but it was that you were going to be the savior of mankind. And that comes down to us, that we can come together today uh, and to look to you and say that you are our savior. And so I pray today as we come together in this uh, church service, that you will meet us here, that there are those in this room that are like the, uh, the centurion, that didn't necessarily know you, uh, and I pray today that this will be an experience, uh, that they will see you for who you truly are, Lord Jesus, and for those of us that are followers, that we will be reminded afresh that the resurrection, your resurrection, uh, is a resurrection for us where we not only just have earthly life, uh, but we come alive spiritually and that we have the opportunity to live with you forever. And so I pray your blessing on us this morning and I pray that we will honor you as our king. Amen. Well, uh, happy Easter. That sounds kind of lame, doesn't it? Happy Easter. Oh, I got something better. Christ is risen. There you go. Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. Uh, that says it all, doesn't it? Uh, a few years ago, I was in a very large public setting, thousands and thousands of people. Listening to this guy talk, it was outdoors. It was it was up in LA, and it wasn't a Christian thing. It was a big, big, giant uh, event. And uh, this guy though got up and started saying all these things, outrageous things about. Jesus, I mean, things sort of insulting things, not just about Jesus, but about a person's faith and discounted it. It was just really odd. And I was so frustrated, and I was looking at Janet saying, my gosh, that's frustrating. And I happened to see out of the corner of my eye this lady, this large Greek yai, that's a grandmother, this large Greek lady with all of her family sitting next to her, and she's going. <laughs> she was not happy. And I remember having heard her speak Greek with a family, and so I was so frustrated, she was frustrated, and all of a sudden, Donovan, I said, Christos Anesti. She goes, Alitos Anesti. So Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. 
And I, we both started smiling. I thought, all is right in the world, you know? It's a way of claiming reality, re recapturing reality. And so a big question to start out uh, this morning is, why do we celebrate Easter? That's a big, important question. Why do we celebrate Easter? For me, personally, it's so I can dress like an Easter egg. And I can come to church dressed like an Easter egg. No, uh, what's the answer? It's Easter is all about one thing. Jesus' resurrection from the dead. So if by any chance today, in your home, walking along the street, somebody comes up to you with a whole film crew, a big, a big mic in somebody's hand, he or she says, this is going to be on national, possibly international television. We're looking for people to define Easter. How would you define Easter? What would you say? I hope you would say, it's Jesus' resurrection from the dead. Well, no, isn't it about wonderful thoughts and going to heaven? And no, no, no. It might be all that, but it's this, Jesus' resurrection from the dead. Could you say that with me? Jesus' resurrection from the dead. Now, you might be sitting here as an atheist or an agnostic and say, well, I don't even believe that. Yeah, but now you know what the answer is. Right? If somebody said, well, what's Easter all about? Well, I don't believe in Easter. Okay, but what is it all about? Do you even know? Yes, it's Jesus' resurrection from the dead. Now, that opens up another conversation. Well, why do you believe that? Or why don't you believe that? But if we're clear on that, we can have a coherent conversation among the body of Christ, among people who are saying, I'm curious about Christ, and, about, and, and among people who are saying, you know, I don't buy any of this stuff about Jesus. Which part don't you buy? Well, that whole political voting block thing. Oh, really, well, that's not what it's about. Oh, really, what's it about? Oh, it's about Jesus' resurrection from the dead. And so, I hate to say it, but it's not about the bunny. It's just not about the bunny. Uh, it's not even about the basket. Uh, though we do appreciate the chocolate. Uh, how many people here appreciate chocolate? Okay, I'm throw a couple of chocolates out there for you. Okay, there you go. Anybody over here like chocolate? Okay. Because you guys have been married 66 years, I'm giving you a chocolate. And because, because you're sitting next to the most handsome man in the room, and who is this man? Your dad is the most handsome man in the room? That's fantastic. Uh, one bit of disclosure, you guys got Hershey's, you got C's, so you can talk about it afterwards if you want, but in any case, we appreciate the chocolate, right? Uh, having made it real clear, and this is the whole point of, of my message, is that Jesus' resurrection of the dead is what brings us together today. Uh, everything else I say is commentary after this. Having asked that big question, why do we celebrate Easter? It's Jesus' resurrection from the dead. The next question I want to ask you is this, uh, what does it mean? And then what is your response to it? So that's where we're going. So what happened to make Easter happen? It might seem sort of obvious, but I, 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 again, if you were to now be the interviewer and walk around and ask people at work, on the street, in whatever social environment you're in, what made Easter happen? It'd be interesting to hear the answers you get. Because uh, it probably won't be that Jesus rose again from the dead. Uh, it's a confusing thing for a lot of people. And, and so let me put it in context for you. The first century had a parade of would-be messiahs. Every once in a while, somebody would, would rise up and say, I am the messiah. Uh, there was a guy named uh, Theudas. There was a guy named uh, 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 Judas the Galilean and uh, other people. And they would come along with their, their followers. And typically what would happen is that they would be either... Uh, run out of town or killed. And then their followers would be run out of town or killed. And then everybody would go quiet for a while and then somebody else would pop up 
as a wannabe would-be Messiah. So this is, this is well documented. And so Jesus' followers would probably have dis dispersed too once their leader was dead. But an unexpected event changed their lives forever. And that's why we're here. Saying you were a Messiah wasn't unique. Every time I go to Israel, I was just there in February, and I always see a, a, a picture, a poster of a guy who says, Rabbi Schneerson is the Messiah. I'm like, wow, that's awesome, because I first learned that 20 years ago uh, when he was a, a rabbi from Brooklyn and had just died. And so every year that I go back to Israel, I go, has anybody seen Rabbi Schneerson, the Messiah? And people go, no, obviously not. So to this day, we have people who would stand up and say, I'm the Messiah. What was different about Jesus? It was this unexpected event that changed the lives of those people touched by it forever. What was the big event? Jesus' resurrection from the dead. Uh, so let's put it in this perspective. Uh, so it doesn't sound like it was so obvious. Well, yeah, he rose from the dead. What's the big deal? Let's move on. Well, it, it was hard for them to move on. Because here's what they experienced. Uh, they were devastated by Jesus' crucifixion. Uh, they had seen him or, or, or knew that he had been scourged. That means you take this whip with pieces of leather with, with bone and metal embedded in it, and he was whipped uh, about 40 times. He was pounded in the head with a stick. I mean, just grotesque stuff. You've seen, if you've seen any of the movies, I can't even watch the movie. It's just so uh, horrible. Uh, he was nailed on a cross in public for three hours. Eventually, because it was getting near the end of the day, a Roman soldier took a spear and, and stabbed him in the side, and all of his blood and, and water f flowed out of him. Uh, and he was certified dead. Not mostly dead. He was certified as dead. Uh, he was buried in a donated tomb. He was wrapped in 75 pounds of spices and, and linen cloth and put in a tomb and left there for several days. Uh, an elite Roman soldier, uh, I should say elite Roman soldiers, uh, part of Caesar's uh, hand-picked uh, guard, the Praetorium Guard, they were assigned to guard the tomb. And his disciples then hid in grief and fear. They were terrified even as they were distraught. Uh, that's the perspective we need to have to appreciate what happened on that first Easter. It was not a happy moment. Nobody said, hey, happy Easter. All they can say is this is a horrible, horrible day. The person that we were closest to and we had the greatest hopes for has been ripped from our presence. Uh, and their hopes were dashed, their spirits were crushed. Why? This is the big question to ask. Amidst the question of what, what happened, is the why question. Uh, to know what happened is just an interesting footnote of history. To, to consider the why question is what draws us into a very current conversation. Why? Why were their hopes dashed? Why were their spirits crushed? This happened on a regular basis, so why would this be unique? Why wouldn't they be crushed and dispirited? Here's why. They believed Jesus would restore Israel to its glory. That might be surprising or perhaps shocking to you. You say, well, no, no. Why would they, why would they think that? Didn't they know he came to die and rise again from the dead? And, well, maybe, and no doubt he had said that to them for three years. He said it intensely at the final dinner they had earlier that week. But somehow in their head, uh, they did not expect the resurrection. Why do we know this? Because we have a, a conversation between Jesus and his disciples 
recorded that tells us what their expectation was. Uh, it says, then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? That was their expectation. Dead guys can't restore the kingdom to Israel. Dead guys can't say to the Romans, time to leave. We're taking back our country and our rightful place as the rulers, not just the inhabitants of this country. Are you following me on this? Dead people cannot restore anything. They're dead. And all those hopes were then dashed because of that death. Now, the funny thing is, this, what I just quoted, was what Jesus said to his disciples before he ascended into heaven. This is after they had come to accept the resurrection. They still had this idea in their head. So for them, Easter was, I guess, Jesus rose from the dead, period. Hopefully, he's going to restore Israel. And, he, and when he said, that's a whole other conversation, they were still left unsatisfied with that. So for them, the resurrection took a while to kick in, to understand why this mattered. So how do we know that they didn't expect the resurrection? Here's why. Because three days after Jesus was buried, women went to his tomb to anoint his body, a final act of adoration and worship, of respect. They went prepared to anoint a dead person with some uh, spices and perfume. They went fully prepared to find a dead person. They didn't bring snacks. Uh, they didn't bring a restorative meal. They, they brought things that a dead person would be honored by. But the stone was rolled away. He wasn't there. Uh, some of these women remembered seeing an angel. Some remembered seeing two. Uh, the four written accounts about this reveal their confusion. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John have overlapping stories about the same event, but there's some details that are different in each one of them. Why? Try to get four people who witnessed something traumatic to tell the exact same story in the exact same way. You know from what you're hearing that it's the same story that they were present and they observed these things. But the way it all comes together is a bit like you waking up from a crazy, wild dream. And when you start telling it, you go, oh my gosh, it's a little bit crazy trying to... But this was what happened. And you were in it. And you were on a tricycle. And you had wings. Or you were eating a pizza. And all of a sudden you go, what is this about? And there's a bit of that going on in the, in the stories about what they experienced. And so they didn't know what to make of it at first. All these random facts and, and features of the event. And to those they told their story, uh, they were shaking their heads going, this makes no sense. Add to that the fact that women in the first century had, had no legal right to give testimony. Their testimony was not accepted as legal testimony. So if, if they said, if somebody said, well, what did you see? I saw nothing. And they said, that's what your testimony is worth. Nothing. Well, then the men that they told who went to look at this all walked away perplexed, having no idea what was going on. Do you see what's at stake here? What we celebrate is, oh, yeah, of course we know this. They did not know this. They had no category for this. Therefore, they didn't know what to make of it. And so their grief and their loss were now painfully intensified. It was like, oh, great, he's risen from the dead. That's what's going on here. They still hadn't gotten there. He just got, in fact, after everything that has happened, this crushing blow, and now he's gone? Like somebody's removed his body before we could anoint him? And pay our last respects? Horror upon horror. And then when Jesus started appearing to them, it required his appearance to convince them that he was risen from the dead, not a ghost. And even then, some of them doubted. Again, we have some testimony uh, from witnesses saying this. When they saw him, it says in Matthew's gospel, when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. He looked like him, but he looked different enough from the regular him 
that they knew something was up. But, and they knew what ghosts were, but they, this was not a ghost, but there's no category for him. Now, he wouldn't have been shining and glowing and bright like the, like the art depicts him, but it was him. He could eat things, he could interact with them, and yet it was him, but more so. And so they doubted even as they worshiped. Well, we should be able to relate to this, right? Because doubting God is a big theme in human history. We are very good at doubting God. One of my strongest features is doubting everything, including God, right? Maybe that's true for you too. And I find it convenient because doubting God is, is a convenient way to disbelieve him. If I don't believe in him, he doesn't exist in my mind. If I doubt him, it's a convenient way to disobey him. I don't have to do anything he said because he doesn't exist and therefore it doesn't apply to me. A doubting God is a convenient way to dismiss him. In fact, why are we even talking about this? I have more important things to do with my very important life. Uh, I, I've heard of people who doubt that the government has a right to tax them. They disbelieve that that's the government's right. They quote the Constitution to support that. Therefore, they disobey the government, say, I'm not going to pay taxes. And they dismiss the whole crazy notion that they should pay taxes. When the IRS comes to explain it to them, they shake their head as if they're talking to a person who doesn't really know much, and they start quoting the Constitution to the IRS. The IRS invites them down to the office, <laughs> arranges a place for them to stay free of charge, paid for by the government, and gives them many, many decades to think about what they have been doubting. So there's consequences to doubting, but I find it super convenient. How about you? These folks couldn't doubt. They had kind of moved beyond doubt. And they were now in this worship, accepting it, processing it mode, but they still had doubts. The beautiful thing is this, Jesus met them in their doubts. Jesus still meets people in their doubts. To have a doubt doesn't mean you have to disbelieve or disobey or dismiss. It means perhaps it's a great opportunity to discuss. Say, God, I don't know what to do with this. I thought you were with me and now you've taken everything from me. Or I thought you were for me and my dreams have just been dashed because this thing I was really counting on has crumbled right in front of me. God, I thought you were gonna protect me, but, but I've been betrayed. Lord, I thought, and all the things that we thought we assumed, Lord, when are you gonna restore my kingdom? Fuels our doubts. And he says, you know, there's another kingdom I'd like to talk to you about. It's a much bigger and better kingdom than the one you keep clinging to and demanding that I restore. We see one of the youngest uh, disciples later in life writes this, John, he says of Jesus, he came to that which was his own. All things were made and created through him, right? He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. The people who'd been waiting expectantly for a Messiah to show up, showed up either didn't recognize him or didn't want to recognize him. And so didn't receive him. Just kind of said, hey, uh, arm's length would be a great posture right now. Yet, John says, to all who did receive him, amid, amidst their doubts, their questions, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. You see how doubting opens up a conversation with the living God? This is how awesome God is. He doesn't take our doubts as an excuse for him to disbelieve in us or to reject us, to dismiss us. He says, hey, if you've got doubts, you've come to the right place. That's why if you're sitting here today and you have doubts, you've come to the right place. We're not gonna try to talk you into anything or out of anything. We'd just like to present some things to you 
that we have found to be life-changing, compelling, transformational, intellectually, emotionally, socially, in every possible way. We can't get it out of our head or out of our heart. We can't understand our life but for this. That's why every time I, 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 I see somebody who is highly accomplished, they're doing amazing and wonderful things on YouTube, talking about, yeah, yeah, this is all great, this is what I love to do, but, but it only makes sense to me because I know Jesus. I love those stories, why? Because they're saying, with everything I've worked hard for and toward and achieved, this is a thing that makes my life make sense. And if you stripped everything away from me, that person could say, my life would still make sense. Let that sink in. He's inviting you into a relationship with him, to receive him, not to give up your doubts, to stop asking your questions, to wrestle with the issues uh, that confront you or bubble up from within you, not to capitulate to the culture and let the culture define you and describe you and form you into, an, into its own image. But to say, God, what can I understand from you that would help me understand who I am and what my life's all about? So don't be denied because of your doubts. Invite Jesus to meet you in your doubts. That's not putting your mind in neutral. That's putting your mind in gear. That's why uh, uh, I, I love hearing uh, Francis Collins talk. He doesn't say, you know what, my, all my accomplishments, including mapping the human genome, are what my life's all about. He says, what my life's all about is this relationship with a living God who gave me the capacity to probe and document to map the human genome. Isn't he an awesome God? Person, isn't that an awesome accomplishment? Well, so that brings us to this next question. What does Easter mean? What are the implications of this? Well, it means something unimaginably unimaginably great happened. And Jesus' disciples were the first to know about it. But they didn't know what they knew at the time. They weren't too impressed with what they were the first to know. This is a horrible disaster. That's what we know. But as the joy of this event welled up within them, they couldn't keep it to themselves. And so they risked everything to tell the world that Jesus lives. This is one of the most compelling things for me as, as a young person reading the Bible for the first time, saying, I don't believe any of this. I'm just going to read it so I can document why I don't believe any of it. When I got to this part, I thought, why would they be convinced when they weren't? And then why would they be willing to suffer and die if they weren't really convinced? What is going on here that makes this so compelling to them and in turn makes it so compelling to me? I came with no biases of belief. I came with anything, if anything, a bias against belief. I was trying to buttress my unbelief. And as I was drawn into this, I thought, this is not a normal scenario where somebody's trying to convince me of anything. They're telling me they didn't believe it and why they didn't believe it. Now they're, now they're showing me why they started to believe it and the difference it made in their lives. They have a courage and a conviction that I don't see in many people's lives. So Easter, I guess, is the greatest story ever told. It's not that these people were the greatest storytellers ever told, because they tell a pretty funky story. They don't, come out, they don't come across as heroes in this story, for sure. But it's the greatest story ever told. Why? Because it's the story of the greatness of God's plan. Against all odds, God has a better plan than we could even conjure up or demand. And we do make demands of God. The problem is we make demands for all the wrong things. 
As C.S. Lewis said, it's not that we ask God for too much. We just ask him for such little things. Lord, give me more beauty, brains, and bucks. Sounds good to me. And a bunny and a basket. And God says, I want to give you something bigger. I want to give you a life-changing relationship with the one who made you and loves you more than you can ask or imagine. I want to get you out of yourself so that you can understand yourself and be fully yourself in the actual life that you now live. That's compelling and profound. His plan, his great plan, was to defeat death, to rescue his creation, and to create a new resurrected humanity in Christ. Well, I thought it was so I could go to heaven or be happy or read the Bible or go to church. No, none of that. It was to defeat death and to rescue his creation and to create a new heaven, a new earth, a new humanity, out of which come all those other things. An eternal hope, a confident sense of God's abiding presence. The conviction that his word is instructing me about how to actually live the life I was made for. The freedom to express myself fully as a human being, creatively, artistically, technologically, whatever. And so Easter is good news from God. It changed human history. It could change your history and my history. Well, I don't want my history to change. I like the history I'm living. Great. Hold on to that as long as you can. Because the world that you inhabit, that you think you control, will be rattled and shaken. As Peter said to Jesus, you know, these, these guys might run away and, 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 and desert you in your time of need. I'm going to be with you forever. This is at the meal before Jesus was arrested and, and uh, tried and, and convicted for claiming to be God and then crucified. But Jesus said, you know, Peter, you will be sifted like wheat. I love your good intentions. They're not good enough. And you will deny me three times before the rooster crows. So Peter didn't understand at the time his history needed changing. You might not understand it right now. Your history and your future, specifically in the present, needs to be aligned with the purposes of God. Not to humiliate you, though it will humble you, but to lift you up so you can see your life from the proper perspective. Why? Because that's a life that will help you understand what it looks like to exalt Jesus Christ as your Savior, your Lord, your High Priest, your King. And not just yours alone, but the Savior of this world, the Lord of this world, the priest over this world, the King over this world. And so as Jesus' disciples continued to process the implications of his resurrection, and it took them not just hours or even days, it took them weeks and months and even years to process this. And as they did that, they wrote it down to help future generations of believers understand the magnitude of God's victory in Christ. What looked like an abject failure from the standpoint of the Romans and the Jewish authorities and even Jesus' closest disciples and friends was revealed to be the victory of God. And so what does that sound like and look like? Well, one of them, an angry rabbi, offended by all this news about Jesus being the victory of God, ends up coming to 